Good morning, everybody. We made it to flannel season, finally. I'm excited about that. Hey, hey uh, Chelsea mentioned this, but I just want to throw this. Guys, we've got a great midweek roster here. we just got lots of classes. We are, we are for us growing together as a family, and so uh, just take an opportunity to come Wednesday night. It's going to be a great, great time for us to kind of eat together and, and, and grow, so just take advantage of that. Uh, so today you probably heard the song um, to our bumper, a song by Three Dogs Night. Uh, it's a song called One. It was a top five hit in the year. Put a year in your head, all of those who may ever know that song. 1969, that was when the year that was a top five hit in the country. It was written by a man named Harry Nielsen. And Nielsen wrote that song. If you listen to the piano rift in the beginning, he wrote it to the busy signal of a telephone. And the theme of that song, the theme of that song is all about loneliness. That one is indeed the loneliest number. And I would agree with that. Certainly, nobody wants to be alone on a chronic level, right? But we all enjoy those moments, let's be honest. I just need to get away here a little bit and have some privacy, get away. But nobody really wants to be alone by themselves as kind of a condition. Uh, and I think that as we look at culture as a whole, one of the things that we are observing is more and more people are pushing themselves into isolation. More and more people are, are putting things between themselves and actual people. So much so that researchers are now saying that loneliness is a modern day epidemic. Huge scores of people percentages are increasing in what they would say being lonely. Uh, and so uh, it doesn't take a degree, doesn't take much education to realize that that's not a good trend for us. We should not be growing in isolation. Uh, in fact, if we think of it this way, uh, in prison, what do they do to the, the people that give them the most trouble in prison? They put them in solitary confinement and isolation. And there is a lot of controversy even today about that kind of apparatus in prison. And so moving ourselves towards isolation is not something that we really should grow as a habit here on earth. And so the Lord is, is very clear in the passage of his text that he created us to be connected. Connected to one another and, and what that connection uh, really is um, exemplified in is, is in the church. And we're going to talk about the church a little bit today. We were wired to be connected. One of the first things that God says about his creation upon creation is he says this, it is not good for man to be alone. And so he creates woman. And I'm thankful for that, that kind of a deal. It's been a good deal for me. Matthew, in, in Matthew, Jesus says this. He says in Matthew 18, he says, for where there are two or three gathered together in my name, I'm in the midst. And so in this idea of community, uh, God says that he surrounds them in, with his presence, that inside community, God surrounds that community with himself. And so in our New Testament, there are over 59 instances when, when the Lord or, or somebody through the Lord writes about being something to one another, whether it's encouraging, loving, lifting up, carrying each other's burdens. Uh, 59 times about loving one another. That's about being connected. And as a gift to his people, as a gift from a good God to his people, for them to grow in connection to him and knowledge to him and his people, God gave us the good gift of the church. He established it on earth. And so where we currently kind of live as a culture 
It's kind of one that's kind of fascinating. Where we live as culture, as Christians, is, is that uh, this narrative and this idea of like, well, do I really need to go to church every Sunday to be a Christian has kind of flooded into our culture. People are really asking that question a lot. Uh, there was an article in a magazine called Relevant that has a really good response to that kind of a thought process, and I'm going to lean on that briefly today. What we know in culture is that we just work in pendulums. People just work from one side to the next. The nature of man is to react against the extremes of the past. Like, we have this kind of historical trend to to swing from one extreme to the next. It's just an easy observation to see. I mean, if you just look at something simple like eggs. I love eggs. But for a long time, they said, hey, don't eat eggs. They're not good for you. They're high in cholesterol. But what are they saying about eggs now? Eat all of them. Like, don't let an egg go out of your way without eating it. Eggs are for our benefit. And so we just move from one extreme to the next. And so for generation after generation, the church could have been viewed as this legalistic, ritualistic expectation. It was what you did on a Sunday. And the dominant motivation for spiritual growth and activity, whether it be reading our word, praying, or going to church, was out of obligation or duty. We did those things because that's what we thought we were supposed to do. And for a a long, long time, nobody questioned that. And then people started questioning that. And, and maybe you're like, people, stop questioning that. I don't like your questioning that. But I think what, at the end of the day, what we figured out is all of those things that are done out of duty and obligation can leave us feeling empty at the end of the day. And the air of Christian leaders was drawing a parallel between our relationship with God and our church attendance. We seem to imply by our expectations that if you didn't go to church on a weekly basis, then you could really never know or love God. And so it is out of that kind of rejection of that kind of narrative that our culture has birthed this idea, this thought process of, well, well, maybe I probably, I don't even really need to go to church anymore to be a Christian. Because uh, for so many years as a church, we relied on the wrong motivation to get the right response. We relied on the wrong motivation to get the right response. I, I think it would be more beneficial for us to think of church attendance much like doing good works. If our motivation in doing good works, things that God has put in front of us, is that we would earn our salvation or prove our worth to God, then at the end of the day, those works are self-righteous and worthless. But if those good works flow out of a response and a love for a God who has given us grace and mercy, it flows from a response of those things, then that is a fruit of our faith. The motivation that we have changes everything. God's works are not a tool to earn salvation. They are a natural response because of salvation. And we need to look at church attendance kind of in the same way. When we make it about things that we're supposed to do, at the end of the day, it can become an empty religious practice. But when we invest ourselves into the church, because we recognize it's an opportunity for us to grow closer to God through his people, and our motivation is to have more of God in our lives, then it moves from being what can be viewed as a chore to being an absolute joy of our lives. Absolute joy. 
There, there's no doubt that in the pages of scripture we're finding a rhythm that God says, I need my people to be with my people. I want my people together. If we look at Paul in Hebrews 10, Paul says this. He says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so when Paul is speaking about this idea of a rhythm of being together, the way that he's talking about it is that you get to. You get to stir up one another to good works and faith and encouragement. You don't just have to. Being a part of a church is something that we get to be a part of, and that makes the world of difference if we have that motivation. And so today what I want to do in our brief time together is to begin really to speak truth and understanding of what the church is and how we better kind of move forward with, with a deeper and, and better understanding about it. And so let's just say this, you know, the church is not a building and it's not a denomination, right? Not a building, not a denomination. When I was like, when I was young in college, like 20, I worked at this little bitty small church in Selma, Indiana. I don't know if you guys have been to Selma, Indiana. It's like literally one stop. It's one of those small towns. I worked in this small church as a youth pastor, and I had uh, in this old building just a ton of kids playing Capture the Flag, and we were having a blast. And I had this sweet old lady. I, I love her. She came up to me, and she wanted to remind me, hey, you know, this is God's house. And the activities that we were doing inside of God's house did not seem to be appropriate in its usage. And look, I respected her, uh, you know, I, we toned it down a little bit, but I didn't want to say that. What I wanted to say was, hey, <laughs> she would have, this is way overhead, I don't think. Hey, uh, do you know that when Jesus died in the temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies? And that is literally where the presence of God resided on earth. And when Christ was crucified and raised from the dead, that curtain that separated the literal presence of man with people was ripped from the top down. And what that means is that Christ no longer lives in a building or a place, but he resides and rests with those who love and profess his name by faith through repentance. That is where God lives. It's not a building. It's not about a place because places and buildings will be torn down, but God's church is eternal and it will move forward even when we're gone. I wanted to say that, but I didn't say that because I respect her and I loved her. But here's the deal. That's the truth about God's church. It's not confined to a building. It is his people and it will not go away. I love Jesus when he speaks to Peter. He speaks to Matthew 16 talking about the church that he's going to establish on Peter as the rock. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God says that there is nothing that will ever defeat his church, nothing that will ever destroy it. And so understand, according to the Bible, the church is the body of Christ. All of those who have placed their faith in Christ for salvation. And local churches are just simply local meetings of the members of that universal church. The local church is where people go to apply their giftin giftings and, teach, uh, and, and, and passions to, to, to really be uh, empowered and equipped in those, those, those talents and giftings from the Lord uh, and grow in our knowledge and grace of uh, uh, knowledge of grace in God and, and of him towards ourselves 
and people in the world around us. That's the church. And I think that Ephesians 2 provides some really great understanding and a more complete picture of what the church is. And so we're going to walk through that a little bit today and try to pull out some understanding. This is kind of a lengthy verse, and we're going to try to walk through it in, a, in some chunks here later. Ephesians 2, 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And so you then are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. One of the things that strikes me the most within those passages is verse 19 when it says that you and I are no longer strangers or aliens, but we are now citizens, members of the household of God. Do you get that? Like, you are family to God. You are a friend of God. And that is exactly what the church is. The church is God's family and his people. And that is a mark on his people that assumes identity. Because you once were not, but now you are his. You belong to him. You weren't. In this passage, Paul in Ephesians, the writer of this reminds us of this phrase, Gentiles in the flesh, the uncircumcision. What he is referring to is this. In the time before Christ, there were the elect and the non-elect, and the chosen people of God were the Jews. And on the Jews rest favor and blessing and salvation. If you were not a Jew, you were Gentile, and you were without God's favor, without God's blessing, without God's salvation. If you were a Gentile before Christ came, you were condemned and doomed. But thanks be to the blood of Christ, who has brought down the hostility, the dividing wall between God and ourselves. He has made peace with all of creation, that those who profess by faith in the name of Christ in heart and words can walk with a kingdom in the kingdom of God and can be a part of God's family. What an amazing thing that gives, that is an identity that we 
are Christ. And that identity is something to celebrate. Uh, You're not a stranger to God anymore. You're in his household. You're a part of his church, his beloved church. And with anything that marks us with identification, there are privileges and responsibilities that go inside of that identity. It's just true. And so if this morning, like if I asked you like to pull out your wallets, A, lots of people get nervous that I'm asking you to pull out your wallets right now, but I'm not asking you that. You, in that wallet, you would find things that mark identity. In my wallet, I have multiple things. Right on top, I have a Skyline uh, restaurant gift card, which I love. Uh, I have an Anthem Blue Cross, Blue Shield card. Uh, I I belong to this company. Every time I go into the hospital, I have to flash this thing for me and my family, for them to know, hey, you can treat this guy. You're under this kind of protection of this. And so the privilege that I get from being a member of Anthem Blue Cross is that uh, they provide some help in my medical bills. Now, my responsibility in that is I play a huge chunk of my income to Anthem in hopes that they might pay my health bills. Now, I'm thankful that the church is not like Anthem, I can tell you that. I have my, my driver's license, right? I have my driver's license, and this gives me the privileges of voting. I can ride in my car and drive it on public roads. My responsibilities in that, I have to pay taxes, keep my plates up to date. Uh, I can't smile in any pictures I take on any of my identification. I'm afforded those privileges because of my responsibility in, 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 in that identification. I also have a Costco card. I'm a member at Costco and I pay money every year to buy huge bottles of ketchup every year, and lots of bacon for men's fraternity, or men's breakfast, which is coming up in a couple weeks. Love to see you guys there. I pay for those privileges. And so in any identity, there are privileges and there are responsibilities in any identity. And so in your identity as a member of God's family, of his church, you have privileges and you have responsibilities. We just do. And what can corrupt that understanding is a consumeristic lens that wants to make everything, including the church, about me having my needs and my desires fulfilled regardless of whether or not I have responsibility in any of it. The crazy thing about church is all the things that we sometimes view in this kind of ritualistic kind of expectation of what our responsibility to the church is are not our responsibilities. We sometimes often view serving and giving and attending as a responsibility that we have towards God's church. But it's not. You have one responsibility to God's church, one expectation on you, and that expectation, your responsibility, is that you would live for Him, that you would remain in Him. Because obedience is about you walking with the Lord remaining with the Lord, that's our responsibility to the church. Jesus writes very poignantly about this in John 15. He paints a picture of what is absolutely the most important thing that we have to do as a Christian, and that is to remain with the Father, to abide with the Father, stay connected to Him. And this is what He has to say. Abide in me, and I in you, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you, done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Staying connected to our Father is the greatest responsibility that we have inside of our citizenship, inside of our identity in his church. Last week, we kind of talked about how we do that abiding. We talked about keeping in the love of God. That's how we abide, that we would grow in discipline, our desire to grow in doctrine and knowledge, that we would plug ourselves and study the Bible, as well as praying through the Spirit persistently. That is how we go about abiding. And when we abide, everything else that we do, friends, becomes a privilege. They become privileges. They move from works that things that I just have to do to things that I get to do. When we grow in our responsibility to the Lord, when we remain and we abide in Him, we begin to bear much fruit. Things naturally grow out of us, like attitudes and beliefs and actions blossom out of a heart that is connected to the Father. And so when we get that responsibility right to abide, everything else becomes a privilege that has been granted to us as access through the Father. Like, do you get, you get to serve one another. That's a privilege that you can walk alongside of each other. Why? Because Christ first served you. Do you know that giving is a privilege? You get to be a part of what God's doing on earth and his people and his church. And why is giving a privilege? Because God first gave to you. Do you know that loving one another is a privilege that we get to be a part of? It's an honor that we get to do. Why? Because Christ first loved us. There's a pastor and author, his name is Gary Thomas, and he's kind of stirred up a different understanding in this aspect of loving people in my heart. You know, the reality is, is that we all walk through this earth with this basic fundamental need to be loved. Everywhere we walk, we have this fundamental need to be loved, and we walk through life trying to get that need met. But when we know Christ and understand what he has done for us and what he has granted us access to, that need to be loved is perfectly met in a creator God in his perfect love. That need to be met, to be loved, is met in Christ in his complete love. And when you get that, it changes our motivation because we no longer need to be loved because that need is already met in our Savior. But then we get to learn how to love those who we walk to. We get to figure out how do I love people's hearts and souls because I have been so loved by my Creator. That motivation changes everything. We get to love. All of those privileges... All of those things that were given access to by the Father who took us from being outsiders, condemned, 
outside the love of God, hostile to God, that he broke down the wall of hostility and made peace with us and God through Christ and our faith and trust and repentance in him. That God created all of those privileges to be lived out inside of his body, inside of his church. He created all of those privileges to be lived out in a local expression of his universal church, like right here at Life Community Church. And it is a privilege to be here. It is a privilege. What a privilege. I saw them today. What a privilege. Gay and Scott Sheff, they're leaving to go to South Carolina. They're retiring. What a privilege it has been to walk with them, to be encouraged by them. God has done a profound work in their heart. What a privilege it is to be with them. What a privilege it is to be with somebody like Josh Fry, who I know the Lord has done a work in his heart. I got to walk with that guy. I got to be encouraged by that guy. He gets to encourage me. Do you understand what a privilege it is to be a part of the body of Christ? It's amazing. We are a part of an ancient future community of Christ. There have been generations of generations of Christians who have professed the name of Christ, who have gone to glory. And we are in a line of those people. And God has a future in mind that is controlled by his hand. And we are a small part of his church. It's an ancient future community that we get to be united together in in service and love and care for one another. And do you know what happens when his church rallies together? Serve and love and care and encourage one another. We are blessed. Unbelievably blessed because God leverages all of those things, all of those privileges to increase fruit in our lives, in the church, and he multiplies his people. Do you know what happens when a church is healthy and functioning and committed to the Lord, when its people are accessing all the privileges that Christ has granted us, the benefits that aren't, the benefits aren't just there for those people who are inside the walls of the church, those who are members of the church, but for the whole community that surrounds that church. When God's people take care of their responsibility to abide and remain in the love of God, people on the outside come to know the Lord because they get to see Jesus firsthand in how he has lived his life. They get to see the essence of Christ. But as long as we treat the church not as a place that we get the privileges of serving and caring for one another, but as a place that we almost purchase inspiring worship and music, moving sermons, great childcare, as if we buy God somehow and not vice versa, if we don't move away from that attitude, we will never be able to see the full blessing that God has for his church. And we will not know the depths of what Christ, when he died, has granted us access to. Uh, there's a story that I love of, of a grandfather who on his grandson's birthday, his 16th birthday, he gives them a Corvette, like crazy. I'm sure we all would love a grandfather like that. He gives them this beautiful black and yellow convertible Corvette. And his grandson, oh, my, Grandpa, you, for me, this is unbelievable. Why would you do this? And, and, and the grandfather's just excited for his grandson. And, 
And this beautiful piece of engineered, oh, it's beautiful. He gives it to him. Three months later, the grandfather comes back, and he pulls in the driveway, and he's appalled and shocked by what he sees in the front yard. Because what he sees in the front yard is this beautiful black and yellow Corvette convertible with its top down, and there is dirt filled in the entire cabin, and there are flowers planted inside of it. And he's, oh. The grandson, Grandpa, look at this. You got me the, the, the greatest flower box that I've ever seen in my entire life. It's unbelievable. And his grandpa says, son, do you know what you got here? This is one of the most precisioned, engineered muscle cars in all the world's history. It was designed for speed, not just to sit here and look pretty. And this grandpa and the grandson remove the dirt out of the cabin and the flowers. They turn the key in the engine and they rev it up to the grandson's delight and they drive away. You see, friends, God's church isn't just a building that's meant to look pretty and make us feel good. It was meant to bring hope to the world. Hope to the world. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this to the church of Corinth. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We, as the church, are to bring to the world the hope of Christ, the message that God through Christ has torn down all hostility that he had, that he made peace with us and those who proclaim his name by faith can walk with him in his kingdom, in his church. We are to reconcile the world back to its creator. But none of it will happen. None of it will happen if we slack or forget our responsibility as God's church, that we would remain and abide and stay connected to him, stay connected to the Father. And so that's our challenge today, is to ask ourselves this question. What does God really expect me to do? And the answer to those questions revolves around fellowship with Jesus, not works for Jesus. If we remain in Christ, the works will always be there, but they become a privilege and not a task. The church is absolutely something that we get to be a part of, not just have to be a part of. And it's a privilege that just doesn't benefit us who sit in these walls. But when we abide and remain in him, it's a privilege that benefits the world around us. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk in depth about our life in the church, my life in the church, that we would be connected together as a body in unity, in words, in growth, in service, and in prayer, that we would remain in the Father in those areas. And I'm looking forward to seeing what God does through these next few weeks. And so to close our time together, I'm a big fan of Scripture. 
Uh, let's just read this verse in 2 Corinthians together as a body to remind us of our responsibility as the church. It says this, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We are here to bring the hope to the world as the church, not just to sit in our seats. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we praise you that you've entrusted us the message of reconciliation, that you have broken through our brokenness and our sin, and that you've empowered us through your spirit to be salt and light in this world. And so, God, will you move amongst our church body that we would grow in our desire to abide and remain and stay connected to you, Father, that we might experience all the privileges that you've granted us access to by your Son, Christ. And Father, we praise you for today, and we praise you for this church. We praise you for you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who did for us what we could not. Amen.